Well, it just goes to show that's this sort of it's definitely affected the way I, I look at life because it does. I mean, the the guys that are here and anyone with a brain injury, you know, they they woke up the morning and had their accident just thinking it was another day. You know, it just goes to show that within a, a few seconds, your whole life changes. You guess have a bit of information from her. I'm not sure. Is there anything? Did you tell him everything? It's a good thing, so no. Did you tell him everything? Everything he asked me. What's the day ahead for you now, Noel? <sighs> yeah, don't stream me now. Don't stream me for making mistakes. The things that I can do. Is this right or wrong? I will do. Do you remember the bacon cabs ready? It's in the microwave. Mm. That bacon cabbage though. Oh, I'm pissed. Oh, are you hungry? I'm hungry now, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, people coming on a different recognition towards myself. Since my accident, but I'm 36. And how long is it since your accident? Since I was 36. People just, I don't think they, they, they get it. They don't quite get the full, I suppose. There's so many difficulties that come with it. There's so many different facets that are, are affected. And there's so many um, people present with so many different a, a huge spectrum of, of difficulties that it can affect people in such different ways and you can, I suppose, see or not see different things. A brain injury is an injury for life. Every year in Ireland, about 10,000 of us receive a traumatic injury to our brain. A fall, a car crash, an assault, it can happen in a variety of ways. An average semi-detached house in McCroom, County Cork, is home to four men who have acquired brain injuries. For some of them, it's the first real home they've known in years. Their home and the care they receive within it is all provided by the Peter Bradley Foundation. The Peter Bradley Foundation was originally set up in 2000 and it was set up by um, family members of Peter Bradley himself. Peter Bradley would have survived two brain injuries himself and he he would have lived quite a fulfill, fulfilling life but I suppose additionally what happened to Peter then was that he became ill and it meant that he could no longer live independently so the family had to look at how they were going to support Peter you know he ended up going into nursing home for two years and it, it was you know he was inappropriately placed and the family were very conscious about this so Barbara O'Connell, his sister, and Morris O'Connell, her husband, would have approached the HSE to look at um, what kind of funding they could access. So they came to the agreement that um, Peter had his own house in Dunleary and that the house could be used um, to accommodate uh, two other uh, people with acquired brain injuries if they could um, fund the support as in rehabilitative assistance 
to support the lads while they were in the house. And the HSC agreed to that and um, it went on from strength and strength. Today, the Peter Bradley Foundation has 13 assisted living residential homes spread throughout the country. On average, each house provides 24-hour care and a home for four people with an acquired brain injury. In the McCroom house, Ned and Dermot are two of the residents. It's uh, five past nine. We're dropping Ned off to his focus programme and then we're going to ECDL with Dermot to do some computer work. There you go, that's the morning ahead. And you, do you um, go to the class with Dermot? I go, yeah, yeah, whoever's on duty at the time will go with Dermot, yeah, yeah, in the morning. Yeah, um, being Dermot's key worker, I, I go whenever I'm on, yeah. yeah. What, what does key worker mean exactly? Um, it's kind of like, um, I suppose, someone for, if, if Dermot has any concerns or problems, someone he can kind of come to and um, I suppose a lot of my main efforts would be focused on Dermot and um, anything you may need. And does everybody have a key worker assigned to yeah. them in the house? everyone, yep. So it's almost like a body system in a way? Yeah, yeah, that's a good way of putting it, yeah, yeah, it's kind of, yeah. yeah. So this is pretty much your average morning, up and out and get people going? Yeah, hectic. <laughs> yeah, it's all hectic around here in the mornings, yeah. Have you had the breakfast now, Ned? Oh, yeah. I did. Put your feet up in this morning. Polish. Oh, my, my favourite cereal in the morning. Polish, yeah. That'll keep you going for the day? Oh, yeah. That'll keep you going for the worst day, yeah. Morning, Dermot. Morning. How are you? Good boy. And yourself? I'm good. Thank you. You're over the wheelchair this morning? Yeah. Brain injuries can manifest themselves in a variety of ways, even resulting in a complete personality change. A brain injury can affect memory, speech, mobility, sight, judgment and concentration. In some cases, the person can even lose control of their lives. Do you always kind of play with your hands like that? Yeah. Just keep them from closing up. Yeah. But your right hand is pretty much perfect, really. Oh, yeah. That was the big draw. Just the left side of school keep our lives. And your left leg as well? So. Yeah, it was, yeah. I'd no more months over it for, for a long time. 68 months before I get any bit moved. It is a fairly big shock to get something like that happening. Oh, yeah. Definitely. As I say, I, I didn't know what a brain injury was. I had no idea to happen myself. If you had to introduce yourself to a stranger now in terms of your name, where you grew up, all that, what would you tell them? I'd tell them I'm from County Kerry for a start. And then I'd say, no one probably had the Castle Island, or Scotland, so I'd say Castle Island. And then I'd, I'd move on to Guinea then and I'd mention I'm Rosalind's name. He was captain of the Kerry team in 1984. And Tarpa Week we there then. <laughs> that week? Yeah, half a week. Music and dance all week through. Yeah, it was a great week. Yeah. What age were you back then in 84? 84, I'd have been uh, 
printing now. Uh, eighty four eight. I've been my I've been my twenties now. I've been twenty four eight. Yeah. Anybody can be affected by a brain injury. That could happen to you or I in the morning. And unfortunately, it's a very, it's a very real thing that can happen. And I, you know, I think people aren't as aware of how easily it can happen. I think people like just they don't see the danger in it until it does happen. And unfortunately, then, you know, because there isn't such a huge awareness around it, it's like every other day of the week, or somebody falls off their bike, or somebody has a car accident, but you don't see what happens afterwards. And it's only then that the services or the lack of services are there, you know, that would recognise you know, the amount of people that are affected. I mean, you, like we said already, it was like 13,000. It's, it's a quite a huge number per year. And 10,000 of those people with very significant traumatic brain injuries, you know. Um, and I think it's just to get that out there, get, you know, the, the, the severity of it, you know, get the understanding that this is, a, this is a huge thing. It affects everybody. It's not like certain syndromes that, you know, that it only affects some people. This is, this is right across the board. Nobody's... I suppose safe <laughs> from a brain injury like. We're not made up very well when it comes to our brain because you know if you were to open up the top of your skull you'd find that the inside of the skull is all serrated and that's to hold the brain in place but it also isn't great when you do have a, a collision or you have um, a knock to the head you know it can it, it doesn't help <laughs> in the sense that your brain you know can can hit off either side of the skull and actually um, have tears and lesions and you know so we're not we're very very uh, I suppose vulnerable we're not made up very well in that respect you know a brain injury can isolate people in a variety of ways friends and family can sometimes disappear Part of what the Peter Bradley Foundation does is to bring people with acquired brain injuries back to life. They may have been alive, but they mightn't have been living. The Foundation doesn't just provide care, it provides a home, friends to rely on, and in some ways, a whole new family. Dermot is one of the lucky few to get a place in the Peter Bradley house in McCroom. At 36, he still has his whole life ahead of him. He's been in the house for over two years now. I'm trauma-screen. Push bike. Don't hit. Intense gear. My gear bag wrapped around. Kind of first way. Last control. We crossed the road into two parked cars. Um, Seven. In one car, we jump in the air and we squeeze car right. That's a very simple accident to happen, really. Yes. You can happen to anyone. I'm, I'm, I'm just lucky to be alive, really, you know? Because, um, why? I was on a relative fault machine for months. And um, took one to turn around. 
Man sieht mir natürlich macht leid. That's a good thing. Can cause. As you were saying there, for some people or in general, it takes people a bit of time to get used to your accent or the way you yeah. speak. How long did it take you to get used to that? Seconds. Uh, you see, I go, uh, when I'm talking, I hear myself perfect. Do you get any visitors here now? I do, my sister and my brother, my brother, my dad. But they all come down on birthdays, and Christmas, and, you know. It must have been a big change for them as well. It was, I'd say. You know, it is a very frightening experience. Because, um, well, didn't know how to cope, you know? Is it a thing that you ever get used to? Um, you would, you would, you would. Is that good or bad? It's good and bad. Uh, just to say that people with brain-acquired injury are still people. They still have the same emotions as everybody else. Uh, they have to deal with the same... Oh, and downs, maybe actually they have uh, tougher frustrations than uh, than people realise and uh, I think just that they shouldn't be ostracised from society, that they should be given as much help to to become part of society like everybody else Plus you can have a lot of anger too, you know, mm. if, if it was uh, like say if you've a client that somebody else uh, gave them the injury and you know they, they can have a lot of anger and you can't blame them because their lives might have been ruined you know for years because say you're going back maybe 10 20 years ago with the clients here so um, even if you talk about facilities now they're much better now 20 years than they were 20 years ago so their lives really uh, I suppose some of the clients came from situations where they were in locked yeah. wards in psychiatric hospitals mm. and you know, they have a lot of things to deal with and it's it's amazing, like I suppose, uh, the human spirit that people live through this yeah. and they yeah. persevere and that, that, that they gain an acceptance of their life and they have the motivation to actually get up and get into this rehabilitation programme because it's a loss for them that they, you know, that they want the lives they had. So they have to have an acceptance first, I think, of what they've been through until they're motivated to, to go through with it. So I suppose in Ireland they're lacking that too, they're lacking counselling services, they're lacking 
you know, psychologists and they're lacking in the psychiatric services, very, you know, spread thinly on the ground. So, um, yeah, I think it's an uphill battle for them too on a daily basis. But, you know, it, as I said, it's good to see them happier in their lives and um, mixing in society again, uh, achieving their own goals again. I'm talking about your job now or anything. I'm talking about you in person. I'm not. No. We just carry on and carry on and carry on, isn't it? Pretty much. The answer is pretty much. End of story. About a week later, we're back in McCroom. Noel, who had previously shied away, decided he'd like to be included in the documentary. As it turns out, he ended up doing the interviewing. Have you done enough interviews? I think so. <laughs> you don't me. You you think you've done enough, but have you done enough? I'm not sure. <laughs> but you check all that. Oh yeah, but sure, I'm never sure. You know, that's the way it goes. All right. But have you ever done that, where you've went to a house or something, and you didn't listen to what they no, were saying? Right? Never. You have to do it. Absolutely, yeah. And hello. You agree with that? I do. It's the only way. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way what? I'd hate to it's the only way to do it. I'd hate to meet you in an interviewing panel for a job. <laughs> I'm as you'd be as you'd be in there, right? No, it's what I'm saying now and I'm serious. I feel and I think. Ned, one of the residents in the McCroom house, has really come out of his shell since he arrived well over a year ago. <clears throat> so back to 84 anyway, Ned. Had you settled in Guinea at that stage? Yeah, I had, yeah. Yeah. I... I bore one son that I had. And were you married? I was married, yeah. And the reason I went to London was... was um, because, as, as I say, the wages don't good enough to hardly buy a car and months to generate him to keep travelling from Guinea with it to Billy Desmond. And how did London work out for you? Uh, okay, I to buy. I got more money over there than I got in Ireland, I think, for the short time I was there. I came home with Easter and that. I went to Christmas 89 and came home with Easter and that was, that was into my work then. Was that when the accident happened? Yeah, that's right. And you were 29 then, so? Yeah. 29 is right. And what happened? I was actually kicked in the head. a long time ago in one way, I suppose. Yes, it'll be, it'll be 20 years next March.
And can you remember it? Well, I kind of get flashbacks all I have in my head at times, but otherwise I don't have to remember it. Thanks for your life. I suppose it's not something you'd want to remember, really. No, I wouldn't want to remember it. Because actually, they never told me what happened to me in Corcoran till I went to Dunleary. And they told me up there then, in Dunleary, in Dunleary, what happened And I couldn't, I can remember after going off the life support machine in Cork, I didn't even know my own name. It happened on a Monday night, I didn't go to hospital to fall into it. So I been called the Monday night happened And I, it was five o'clock the following day before the, the brain surgery me. And you said you were in a life support machine? Yeah. I was. And I, I was on that for 40 years. And what happened then after coming off the, the machine in Cork? Uh, they did a bit of exercise with me and then I was moved from Cork to Nilly after the short time. Oh, up to the... Rehab, Rehab, And did you spend much time there? I spent from, uh, I think, me until, me all June until up to Christmas there. Yeah. I came home there. I probably have never walked any for going there. And I went through speech therapy as well. Was your speech affected? Yeah. Well, actually, my voice was very low, and uh, I had to build it up. You haven't done a bad job? No. <laughs> <laughs> and then back home? Back home then, yeah. And things didn't work out too good for me there. So I, I went through... Uh, in January, I went through... The rehab and tree for a while, and things went from bad to worse there for me because things I was doing, what work I was doing there didn't suit me. Like, so I moved from there then. Oh, well, I was in the hospital for a while after I yeah, and I moved from the hospital to down to Dinner with my sister. And I went, I went to the Cheshire home then for a couple of days a week. Two days a week, Tuesdays and Fridays. <coughs> and I was there a week, a week every month. I used to leave, the, my, my sister could no longer look after me then. So I moved from there to North Norman Tree and I came to Tree into Peter Bradley Foundation. So you came from a nursing home into the house here? Yeah, that's right. That was a big change for you? Yeah, it was. More freedom, yeah. And what was it like living in a nursing home? I mean, you're a young man. You're only what, 49 now, is it? Or? Yeah, 49. Yeah, 49, yeah. It was fine with lots lot of old people there with Alzheimer's things. So there's Prophet Alarm any time of the year, night. Open doors. You'd be kept on your toes? Yeah. This is your home now? Yeah, this is my home now, yeah. 
And it's been very good to me, in fairness. Um. In times of crisis, we're accustomed to hearing people ask, why me? In coming to terms with their life, people with acquired brain injuries can sometimes find themselves asking a different question. Why not me? I suppose you must get tired of telling the same story too, like. Uh, I cover it off sometimes. If, if someone is actually quizzed me up, at me, I might say I got a stroke. Just cover it off like that. Is it easier to say that? Yeah, yes. Because a lot of people t think that that you don't be beaten up unless you look for it yourself. Do you ever think of the future now? Well, yeah, I do. I'm hoping to do part-time work, maybe when I finish this course now. Or something like that. Did you check you're getting the bacon and cabbage this evening? <laughs> no, I didn't. Maureen! Maureen, the head chef. <laughs> well, she's cooking this evening, I think, yeah. How did your mum and dad deal with the whole. Uh, my dad was dead. My, my mother was was very cross over it. Is she still alive? She is. She'll be 92 now in November. She's in a wheelchair like this. She's mad to live. Yeah. Same as yourself? Yeah. <laughs> It's an easy day. I'll tell that much. <laughs> Why'd you say that? Because... Um, when I went through, I... I um, when I came off the life support machine, I said, why should I keep alive for... I want you to... I said, would they be better off dead? I'd already been with you for the rest of my life, or maybe paralyzed for the rest of my life. Have you a different opinion now? Well, I have, but I have to look forward, I'm looking forward to no more than back, kind of. And just do many the people, but yeah, I'm a servant. I think a lot of our work is definitely the emotional and the cognitive. It's a huge area because I can, I mean, when they're in a hospital, it's all about the physical and it's all about getting better and being able to get out and kind of, you know, okay, you're, you're better now, you can get on with your life. But quite often that's not, you know, that's fine, they're, they're, they go off home and they realise that, that they have huge difficulties and, you know, the supports weren't there before. 
I suppose now we'd have supports, we'd offer those supports within the community through social work and also through our community rehabilitation. That's if people are at home now and all that. But um, I mean, that the emotional and the cognitive also runs huge and, you know, within the residential service. I think a lot of the, the time is spent on that and looking at strategies around help, helping people cope better with those difficulties. When I found out what happened to me, I was a bit of course. Yeah. Very visible for a long time. And it probably, I'd have made progress, more progress with myself if I, if there was an action I desired for that man. Like. Are you religious? Uh, I went to Medjugorje and uh, Lord's twice. I don't say I'm religious, but uh, I believe there's a God, uh, I think, that everyone see. Did you talk to God about your accident? No. Spoke to a few priests already about it. And I told him, this is, you should be able to forgive, and I said I couldn't forgive for that man. I said, if they broke my hand, they broke my ribs, I might be able to forgive, but that for that is my head. I always said that. And that's my story now. A couple of weeks later, we're back in McCroom, and Gemma, the team leader, is on her way to pick up Ned from one of his Thursday outings. And would it be normal enough now for... The lads are head downtown. Um, yeah, it would be. Maybe not straight away, you know, when they come, first come into the service. But then gradually over time, the lads would head on downtown themselves. But, you know, like Lisa was saying before, we'd do the risk assessment beforehand, you know, to see what could be potentially hazardous to them, you know. So say um, one of the lads might have problem might not be aware of the traffic and where to use the the crossing and stuff like that so we'd have to point them out point that out to them and hopefully over time then they become more aware of it in themselves and we can just pull back from it then and they can head off so obviously enough Ned's at, Ned's at that stage now he is yeah because he's um, he has the mobile phone and he's well able to use it so I mean if he ever needed to get in contact with the house there's no problem doing that. But when Ned first came to us, I mean, like, he wouldn't go to the corner shop. And now he goes off on his own and we hardly see him during the day, really, which is great. How long has he been with you now? Um. About uh, 16 months, yeah, about a year and a bit anyway. So he's um, he's made great strides now in that in the past year or so. He has um, a course that he goes to five days a week from about half nine to half three. And every Thursday or Friday, the group go out on a 
um, kind of day excursion to different kinds of places. So they could go to Killarney one week or they might go into the city another day. Sometimes he wouldn't even phone us to say that he's back. You know, he might just turn up at the door. He might decide to walk himself from town. It depends, I think, how much walking he's been doing during the day because he could get tired and things like that. He's fairly independent, so, at this stage. Very independent, yes. And he's very good at... Um, kind of forward thinking or forward planning kind of thing which can sometimes after a brain injury that's one of the things that can that can um, suffer uh, with a person with acquired brain injury but he's very good at planning for the next day or you know he say for for example he knows um, that if he needs to go to the credit union he'll go after his focus programme rather than coming back up to the house and then going back down. So it saves him time, he's, he's good like that. I suppose in many ways he, he's the kind of person that you almost strive to achieve. We that. know we've kind of done our jo job when we can pull back and let the person do everything, I suppose, or do stuff for themselves. That's the whole point of it, I suppose. We're in Cotter's Bar in McCroom. Out the back, of course, smoking mm, a fag. Yeah, that's it, yeah. That's right, Liam. Mm. And you had a day out now today? Yeah, I was in Garnish Island. Off to the west coast of Cork. Nice spot down there. Yeah, very nice, yeah. You, you head into the pub then for a cup of coffee afterwards if you get a chance, is it? Yeah, that's right, yeah. Coffee only that. <laughs> no points. Oh, few points weekends are right. That's it. My brother's a band actually. Yeah. He's a group called the Flight Wells. Yeah. They'd be a fairly well known band. Oh yeah, they'll be of London one stage, yeah. In the eighties they were very popular over there. They used to actually have a bigger crowd in Seamus Mulder here. Yeah, that's an old rule I know. <laughs> and did you ever play a bit of music yourself? No, but I used to be singing all right. Yeah. Not too much, but now and then, Sunday mornings, I'd sing all along with him now. When there'd be a few singers missing. Yeah. Um, I suppose you wouldn't have a song on you now, would you? A song now? Yeah. Well, yeah, I've no cock, so I'll do a killing song, so I'll sing a clear song. Last night, as I lay dreaming of pleasant days gone by, me mind been bent on rambling to islands I did fly. I stepped on board a vision and followed with the wind. And what happened to your phone? Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long story, though. <laughs> well, um, have you still got it with you, yeah? Yeah. yeah we'll, mm. we'll put it in the hot press or somewhere and yeah. hopefully it'll dry well, out. Yeah. Did it get wet? It's filling to a cup of tea. <laughs> I was hanging on my, my neck. And just... You weren't concentrating? No, no, I was not. <laughs> 
this must be a journey you're fairly used to now, Ned, up and down to town. Oh yeah, that's for sure, yeah. Courtesy of Gemma, of course. Well, I walk, I walk some evenings. Back for the tea now? Yeah, that's right. Do you know what's on the menu? No idea. What would, uh, you, what would you be hoping for now this evening? Or bacon and cabbage. Ned would have bacon and cabbage every day. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be quite happy, wouldn't you, Ned? Oh, yeah. This is your help. Bacon and cabbage for the tea. <laughs> for the dinner, I know dinner, right? God, you'd be starved, don't you? No, oh, yeah. Full up with the coffee and no, no dinner. <laughs> yeah. That's right. To somebody who wouldn't know, you know, Ned, how would you describe to them the way you walk? Ah, uh, for the kind of limpid times, yeah. Home sweet home. Home sweet home, yeah. That's right. So home, yeah. for sure. Hi, guys. Hi, Welcome there, can I shake your hand or can I just stay back? I said video kid radio, sir. Oh, you do not. Mm. <laughs> Love to talk. So, Ned, do you want to go? Are you going for cigarettes again? Yeah. Okay. Life is good now, though, at the moment, is it? Oh, yeah. This has improved life since I came with Peter's birthday. Sure enough. I have more freedom here than I can do different courses here and all that. And staff very good here in fairness. And would you meet your family much now? I'd meet my son and my daughter, Dundas then. She doesn't come down to after but I see her three or four times in the year. And I meet my son about every three weeks to from two weeks to three weeks every every month. It's something that's difficult for everybody, I suppose. Yeah, it is. We've met a couple of times now. Yeah. I, I've yet to meet you in bad humour. Yes. Well, I, I try and keep the best head out as much as possible. I heard you're a good man for a joke. Well, <laughs> I think he just the jokes again. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> What's the difference between a man coming out of the country and coming out of the bath? No. The fellow coming out of the confession is hoping his soul, and the fellow coming out of the is soaping his soul. Injury is for life, but with the Peter Bradley Foundation, it means that life can be lived and fulfilled. Instead of being housed in inappropriate settings, an old folks' home, a psychiatric unit, people like Ned, Dermot, and Noel have a home again. People with brain injuries in Ireland are largely unseen. They're like a hidden society. They shouldn't be, because they're you and me. 
Do you think of yourself now as somebody with a brain injury? Uh, not really, no. I try and put it past me if I can. So, I could be worse. It could be a lot worse. I see fellas that they kind of running after brain, brain injuries. Like. So, I can be thankful for that guy. I can remember most, most things back all the years. Whereas in the start of I couldn't remember anything. As I say, I leave no money in for half his life's machine. You moved around a bit when you were younger, did you? Yeah. I just got enough to leave from Guinea with a bit like yeah. It's a nice old pain. Yeah, it's about three or four miles into my was you walk at home, would you? Just <laughs> like him. <laughs> All the girls wanted to visit him, as they now. That's one of the great things about youth. You never think anything can go wrong. Yeah, it's true, yeah. Until it does, of course. Yeah, that's it. Life goes on. Oh yeah, has to keep going on, no matter what.